us i missed all of you happy new year happy 2023 ladies gentlemen fanatics of all ages this is into its second calendar year the phillies therapy podcast my name is paul boyer i am joined once again and as always almost always at least by the athletics matt gelb we are not quite a week and a half into the new year we've taken about three weeks to catch our breath and exhale a little bit and not have to deal with an offseason quite as frantic as 2019, 2018, 2019. Can you imagine running a podcast like this in an offseason like that? Like you would have not have wanted to talk to yeah, me no. in that offseason. <laughs> I was. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, anyway, yes, things have happened since the last time we talked. A few things. Um, the Phillies who it seemed from a distance could have called it an off season said, all right, we're done. This is our work. This is our team. We'll see you in Clearwater in a little bit. Now they've made a couple more moves and they're interesting. We'll talk about them in a little bit. And also later this week, as we come to you uh, the week of January 9th here, uh, look forward to the end of the week where we start to talk about arbitration figures. And we'll dig a little bit into some money. Some numbers are going to change hands later this week. If we don't see some deals, but first, Matt, happy new year. Welcome to 2023. How are you? Happy new year, Paul. And it's it's January 9th as we speak. And the Phillies, the Phillies have, I think, seven bullpen spots like etched in stone, barring injury. Wild. And that is, uh, that's, that's crazy. a lot of bullpen. That's a crazy thing. Yeah. So as we were, as we were alluding, uh, the things that have happened since the last time we talked, uh, just made official last week, but was announced a, a little bit earlier than that. All-time great relief pitcher, and we can call him that. He might not have been that toward the end of the year, but all-time great relief pitcher Craig Kimbrell got the Corey Knable contract. One year, $10 million to do some sort of things. Pitching. Yeah, yeah. You know, like Craig Kimbrell. Well, we'll talk a little bit about him. Let's, let me finish the recap first. Then this past weekend, Things got a little spicier with a trade. The Detroit Tigers wheeled and dealed with the Philly. We don't often see uh, many deals with Detroit, at least not that I can remember. Gregory Soto, the hard-throwing, erratically commanding left-handed relief pitcher, along with one of Roger Clemens' kids, Cody, are coming in for a couple of members of the daycare, which is a little bit sad. Uh, Nick Maton, Matt Veerling headed out to Detroit, plus Donnie Sands, the erstwhile Donnie Sands. Uh, like you mentioned, Matt, that just further adds to a bullpen that was already looking okay, at the very least, just based on what they did last year and what we could have expected coming into this year. Now we've added two guys, one, a, a, a legacy great pitcher who's, you know, pitching into his his mid to late 30s here but has shown still as recently as last year, some signs of, of being a really dominant pitcher, even though he, he was not that dominant toward the end of the year. And Gregory Soto, who's, mm, you could call him maybe a bit of a project. Uh, he certainly throws hard, but if you ask Detroit fans, they, they seem at least those I've, I've seen talking about him. Uh, they seem a little more frustrated than enamored with him and are maybe a little bit relieved to see him move. But don't get me wrong, there's a lot of potential in this arm, and I, and I think there's a reason the Phillies were able to pick him up for uh, two bench guys, two role players, and a depth catcher. It's an interesting set of moves, and, and Matt, with a bullpen that looks the way it does now, you add in the mainstays and the guys who are coming back, like Alvarado and Dominguez, uh, you add an all-time great, who usually expects to close, in Craig Kimbrell, and a, a potential project, but there's recent success in that department with Jose Alvarado. The Phillies are doing some really interesting things, and I think this bullpen could really be one of the hardest throwing in the entire league next year. Yeah, I, I think there's certainly something to be taken from 
what they saw in the World Series. And it's not to say that they're doing this because of what the Astros did. But, I mean, the Astros just guy after guy after guy in their bullpen just has this plus stuff. And, you know, the Astros had an all-time great bullpen last year. It's it's one of the reasons why they they beat the Phillies in six games in a World Series. But uh, you look at the Phillies now, and they and they run six or seven deep here with 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 some really quality stuff. And the thing that I'll take that I can lump both of these acquisitions, the Kimbrel and the Soto additions, into one theme that I that I keep thinking about is that they are not going to be the guy in a bullpen next season. And they were mm-hmm. the guy in a bullpen. Each of them were last season. Yeah. And, and that led to some frustration because I don't know that each one of those guys should be the guy in a bullpen. Um, but now all of a sudden you add Soto and Kimbrel and maybe you, maybe you bump them down a notch in roll and they can be quality high level relievers. I, I do believe that. I know Kimbrel doesn't have a great history as a setup man. Uh, I think the Phillies have given him some good ideas and have got him in a good headspace and have convinced him that look, hey, this is uh, this is the way. Now uh, there there aren't a lot of like quote unquote closers, capital C left in the league anymore. There really right. aren't. Uh, I think in my story I noted that there were eleven guys last season who had twenty five plus saves. I'm gonna look at this right. So a now. third of the league had only 25 plus i um yes sorry yes 11 pitchers last year had 25 plus saves and in 2011 when kimbrell first became a closer there were 22 such pitchers halved so about a decade yeah halved and you know the phillies had 11 different guys record a save last year that was a franchise record and, and something probably got probably overlooked, I guess, as they were winning in the summer. And just like, you know, they never named a closer and like it was no. unconventional. And, and certainly Dominguez got the lion's share of those chances. But there were a lot of there was a lot of Brad Hand in there. There was Alvarado. There was Brogdon and Bilotti. Uh This is how Rob Thompson wants to run his bullpen. And when you go seven deep, like Bilotti is their seventh guy right now. And, and, and I think Bilotti is like a really solid middle reliever like he is a guy yeah. in the middle who if you have to ask him to pitch the eighth one night maybe you're not wild about it but it it's not uh it's not crazy it's not the craziest thing especially if he's landing that slider for strikes so uh it, it gives rob thompson options i think he's probably the biggest winner in this trade uh b- because he he's gonna have ways to keep his guys fresh and not necessarily compromise in-game strategy on a given night right you know, yeah. he he likes to run his bullpen really similar to how Joe Girardi ran his bullpen. And that, and that is that he doesn't like to you got, use guys three days in a row. He doesn't really like three out of four days. He, he wants to be careful because, as we saw, like he'll he'll use his guys in October. Like he'll lean on those guys. And he did. Those relievers pitched his best guys pitched quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's why you kind of try to save them during the season and not overuse them. And now he's in a situation where, let's say, you know, we're on a given night and he doesn't have Dominguez. He's unavailable. And he doesn't have, uh, let's say, Soto. He's unavailable. Okay, your two of your best guys are down, mm-hmm. but now you've got Alvarado and Kimbrel or Matt Strom for the for the late innings. Uh, you've got Brogdon if you want him. So there's just a lot of mixing and matching that can happen here. Uh, it's a bullpen that will feature the two hardest throwing left-handed relievers in the sport, Alvarado and Soto, and that is uh, that's a unique feature to have. Uh, these guys are you know they may not always throw strikes but they throw hard and velocity is still king in this game it is uh especially if it's well located so there's there's uh there's a lot of interesting things about this bullpen uh you know on paper it's not always going to work out the way that you design it and that's why you go get the depth that you got uh Soto in a lot of ways is similar to Alvarado. I know he's not the same guy, but I'm sure there are some lessons and some ideas that they have and, you know, how they harnessed Alvarado and, you know, yeah. really just got him throwing his best pitch more and just got him throwing more strikes and more confident. I'm sure there's going to be some lessons they try to apply to Soto, uh, who, who's probably less of a project than Alvarado was when they acquired him. I mean, he, you know, he's a two-time all-star and I know that's really by default. He was on the Detroit Tigers who didn't really have a lot of uh, options for all-star, but he he is more accomplished. He's he's pitched more, 
you know, ninth inning or bigger spots uh, than Alvarado had when he came to the Phillies. But that's true. A lot of sim- a lot of similarities. You know, the the thing I look at with Soto that I think is interesting and maybe piqued the team's interest as well. The strikeout to walk ratio, not super great. And that's fine. I think that's obviously something they're going to have to tinker with to find a way to get him to throw a few more strikes. He's got, you know, walks per nine over five. That, 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 that's a high walk percentage. You, you don't really want to see that too much. So I think a good indicator of success will be not just strikes in general, but quality strikes. You want to see how that command factors in because the Phillies obviously are not, um, they're not afraid of wildness. Correct. Right. Like you, you can call it wildness. I, I think there's confidence growing in their ability to apply fixes to some of these guys who look like they might be in need of one. And I think you could say Soto was in need of one just because that command probably held him back. There's some where, good... where do you think where do you think the Phillies relievers last year? Where mm-hmm. do you think they ranked in walk rate for the season among all 30 major league teams? That's a really good question because I, I know the starters did a really great job, really great job at limiting walks. And then things would get a little out of hand. And I'm trying to think back to some of the guys who got jettisoned. It probably wasn't very good, right? They were probably down near the bottom. There were only two teams that had a higher walk rate in their relievers than yeah. the Phillies did. The yeah. Royals and the Reds. Yeah. See that? They're not that afraid way, of it, though, because, no. like that, you know, because, okay, now, where do you think they ranked strikeout rate? Oh, they, they had to be way up. They were punching guys out all the time. Top 10. They were ninth. Okay. So, I mean, right. that, that like, they're, they're, they are willing, you know, Soto is like the, the platonic ideal of a reliever for them. Like, he's got big stuff, doesn't really know where it's going, but they're willing to make a bet on the stuff because they think that they can knock down some of the walks. And, they, and they'll always take a bet on the stuff even if it comes with some walks and they prove that they can make it work. Right. I guess. Sure. It's not, it's not the cleanest. It's not the cleanest idea. No, I mean, in this, in this post matchup world, I guess we can call it this, I can't call it the post Bochi world anymore because he's he's back in the game, (laughs) but you know, relievers needing this minimum and having to face guys. They don't have the platoon advantage against, you know, I'm thinking every acquisition you have to make. Now you have to at least have in mind, how a guy is going to be able to perform with the disadvantage. How is somebody like Gregory Soto going to perform against right-handed batters? Okay, great. I am looking at his splits right now. In the last two years, Gregory Soto has some very interesting numbers against right-handed batters. The walks, yep, still not great. You know, we're looking at on-base percentages allowed um, that were more than 100 points above batting averages allowed, which is usually a bit of a red flag. But, but... Let's focus on 2022 for a second. A nice, clean, even 200 right-handed batters faced in 2022. Hmm. He walked 27 of them. Okay, that's high. Struck out 42. That's pretty good for a left-handed pitcher. And he allowed a combined slugging percentage under 300. Again, that's with the platoon disadvantage. There is something there. His numbers against lefties were bad last year. It, 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 that's a but little for his career thing. they're really good yeah, yeah. It, he the had slider i think inverted yeah. yeah but the fact he didn't that really he have can, his best slider last year yeah the fact that he can control right-handed batters and isn't just a complete liability he started Correct. out that way in his careers his rookie Correct. year he's not a complete liability with the platoon disadvantage and that's such a huge thing when you talk about these acquisitions can you put a guy if you're running a matchup bullpen which like you mentioned the phillies are going to do can you trust him if his matchup guy, if you come in with two outs and you allow the left-handed batter to reach and the next guy up is right-handed, which happens a lot, can you still trust that guy to get him out? You couldn't really do that with Brad Hand last year. That sort of faded as the season went on, and you definitely didn't see it in the postseason. Now you have a guy who you can probably trust a little bit more, even if that wildness still factors in. You have to keep that in the back of your mind, and hopefully the fix that they have in mind uh, ends up benefiting him there. And it's, and it's going to be a little hairier with Kimbrel, like this exact mm. scenario that you're mentioning. I mean, uh, I, I was actually stunned by this ball. I, I couldn't believe this when I looked it up. Uh, it, this is where his numbers against righties last year, a 193 batting average, a mm. 296 on base and a 281 slug. 281. Uh, they, they were really good. He was really good against righties. He faced 133 righties last year. Well, he faced 127 lefties. He faced a ton of lefties and they crushed him. Mm. 
they crushed him last year. And uh, he, he's always been a guy who, who's better against righties and he has lefties. But last year was, was one of his worst seasons against lefties and teams actually pinch hit 21 times of the lefty against him. So wow. yeah, you're, you're going to have to uh, you're, you know, they're going to try to find spots for Kimball where it's, where it's, where it's right-handed heavy. And uh, they're going to have to hope that they can make some, make some adjustments to help him against lefties. Cause he will, you know, even if you find a pocket for him, no doubt the other team is, is going to count over the lefty if they can. It, it's so funny looking at the depth chart now, how after this trade, you think of the Phillies picking up a guy in trade with intrigue and upside as their third best left-handed reliever. <laughs> you know? I guess it have, yeah, it's weird because they almost went about building this bullpen backward and uh, and Dabrowski, I wouldn't say he admitted as such, but I mean, like they they didn't think that they thought the Soto thing was was dead. Like they had talked to the Tigers at uh, in San Diego at the winter meetings about Soto. Like, hey, we're interested. Like, we know you guys are probably going to try to trade him. Mm-hmm. What do you got? They had talks kind of, you know, they're like, OK, great. And then the Phillies didn't hear from the Tigers until last Thursday. Huh. And it was the day they actually introduced. They have, had actually for, officially uh, formalized the Kimbrel deal and put him on the roster and DFA Francisco Morales. And we could talk a minute about that. Cause I know a lot of people have been asking me about that, but yeah. uh, they heard from the tigers. They said, Hey Soto, do you want to talk about this? And I, I wonder if like they did it over again, like would they have signed Matt Strom if they knew they were going to acquire Gregory Soto? I'm guessing probably not. I'm guessing they would not have signed Matt Strom. Hmm. Uh, you know, I don't really know where Strom fits in the bullpen now, like I think he's solidly like a middle guy, but you're you're also you know paid him two years and fifteen million. That's quite a bit for a middle reliever if that's how he profiles. But uh, in this bullpen, I, you know roles are going to be uh, kind of a, like a spin the wheel thing on a, on a daily basis, and, and 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 that's okay as long as the manager can handle that, and as long sure. as the players are cool with that. Mm-hmm. It sounds like most of them are. Like we'll see. I mean, it's gonna. I think it's a little bit of a spring storyline. Like how how do you get buy in? And I guess the buy in is simple as point to the wall or point to the flag in center field and be like, Hey, this is what we did last year. You know, like this right. is, and this is how we ran our bullpen. And this is, you know, it worked. And like, ask the guys who were here last year, how it worked. Like you'll get your shots, like be ready, like kind of embrace the sort of madness. Um, this is how things are done now. So we'll see if the guys take to that, but um, I'm guessing that Stram, they probably wouldn't have signed with the deal. They signed him if they knew they were getting Soto and Kimball, I guess too. I don't know. It's kind of hard where Stram fits, right? Yeah, sure. And look, more bullpen arms is never a bad thing, right? Right, right, We're we're, we're talking about, we're talking about a team that's going to need to cover innings in, you know, fire drill situations. You expect maybe a little bit more than they did last year coming off the long season starters. Maybe if they're ineffective more frequently, maybe there's just more coverage that you need. And if you have a quality arm back there, you feel a little bit better about that. More options, never a bad thing. Um, but I do think we need to flip the table to change our perspective on the trades for just a second and take a quick look at the people going out. You mentioned one of them and Francisco Morales being designated for assignment, um, as well as Nick Maytom, Matt Vierling, Donnie Sands heading out the door in the trade. Um, Cody Clemens, just to wrap up that bow, I guess right now just figures to battle for a bench spot. Um, yes. Left-handed hitting utility player has played a little bit of everything. Some outfield, everything. some infield. Um, you can sort of think of him as as a Maytime replacement ish. Maytime would probably slot above him in a roster yeah. depth chart, yeah. um, but Clemens is in to battle for a reserve role. So thinking about the guys who departed us now, and it's a little bit sad because it includes two of my personal favorites, uh, Nick Mayton and Matt Veerling, um, along with depth catcher Donnie Sands. Mayton and Veerling, their departure in a trade like this, while sad, and and I'm I'm happy for them to get extended looks, which I, they figured to get over in Detroit. Um, interesting outfield situation that could happen with Riley Green. On a weird roster. It's an interesting roster. It is. Nick yeah, Maton filling in. Um, look, that's a developmental win for the Phillies. You know, no these are these are deeper system guys who did not really appear on top prospect charts, who played a role for the Phillies, contributed for the Phillies, and then had value in a trade to bring in an arm that, like you were just touching on, the Phillies obviously coveted. That's that's a that's a big deal. Like you, we weren't talking about a few years ago. We weren't talking about guys of that level in the system 
being used in impact trades. You can call the Soto an impact trade, even if he's not going to come in and immediately be, you know, shut down stuff and this fix takes, you know, hold immediately. That's fine. The fact that you were able to produce guys who are major league contributors who could be valued in a move like this, that's a win. Um, so as sad as it is to lose their personality, you know, Maton of Veerling played big parts, big roles in the regular season. Veerling pro- featured more prominently, obviously, in the postseason. Um, they go out as winners. They go out as National League champions. I'll remember them fondly. Um, Donnie Sands was only around for a brief moment. Dust in the wind. Uh, it was <laughs> it was sort of an open question as to how he was still on the 40-man roster with the way things were being built um, at the moment anyway. So it, it's nice to see him find a new opportunity. Francisco Morales is a little bit more interesting. Uh, his designation for assignment comes as a bit of a surprise, I think, to some of us who obviously aren't on the inside, don't know what's going on with, with decision-making and everything that goes into this. But I think a lot of us thought that Francisco Morales still had some potential, that there was still something a little bit unrealized, that there could be um, a little bit more internal impact. And instead, one interesting wrinkle, I think, by the way, is that he was not included in that trade to Detroit. He is still Mm -hmm. in designation limbo as of this podcast. Uh, Morales, so he's off the 40, man, and figures to, at the very least, be claimed, although there would certainly be enough interest to probably warrant a trade. Matt, what what do we make of of Francisco Morales being the casualty here instead of another depth uh, a depth option? And and what does this mean for him moving forward? Have you heard anything about what might end up happening with him? Surprised, uh, and, and and I I've, I've asked a bunch of people in the organization to try to just kind of give me the the reasoning or like what they were uh, what they were thinking, and and uh, I think there were some people in the organization who were surprised by that decision. Now look like. The, the answer I kept getting more than not was they weren't certain that he could be a contributor for them in 2023 in the majors. And I, I understand that. I, I get that. I think I get that perspective because uh, while there was some promise uh, the the command was a, a huge problem. I mean, and, and his, his, the end of his season at triple a was, was brutal. Um, it was really bad. And he went to AFL and he did well. AFL numbers, uh, I, I I don't know. They're hard to, especially the pitcher, the, the hitting, the right. it's just, it's a tough league to decipher right now. Um, right. But he, he got some confidence there. He's pitching better. Um, I, I'm surprised. And, and I do think he'll be traded. Like I think a team will jump the waiver wire, or wa- waiver order, you know, by making a trade and giving the Phillies something for him. Uh, I, I don't know. Like there's, I think, what it is is like I understand the decision in a vacuum. They don't see him as a contributor; he only has one option. You're left. So let's say he has a couple cameos this year in the majors. You know, kind of goes back and forth, and then comes to camp next spring in 2024 out of options and needs you know, and it has to work. It needs to work. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, you're probably tra- you know maybe you're trading him uh, in spring training in 2024 and getting you know nothing for him, or or, or you're DFAing him and just waving him. Um, so I, I kind of get it in that regard. I know that there were some in the organization who, who sort of uh, weren't convinced that the, that the fastball was going to play against big league hitters, that it was just like too flat. And I know near the end of the year, they tried to give him a cutter uh, and, and it, it, it wasn't going well. Uh, you know, he got himself into really good shape. He was, he was not in good shape a couple years ago. He got himself in better shape. The move to the bullpen was hugely beneficial for his status, I think. Um, I, I think he's a big league reliever. I, I think there's a lot of risk to his profile. Um, I wouldn't have DFA'd him. And and because the decision isn't made in a vacuum, because I look at the rest of the 40 man and I, I, I see other guys that I, that I would have taken off before Morales. And I, you know, I was confused by it. I, I think he's going to make it in the majors as kind of a middle reliever, maybe with a setup man upside. Um, I probably would have, you know, for example, I, 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 you know, there's other guys, there's just other guys like James MacArthur's on the 40 man. Like I, I probably would have tried to get him through waivers. 
know, they had a couple waiver claims. These guys, Luis Ortiz, Andrew Vasquez, um, who they apparently like and think that they can come up and be like, you know, put them right into a big league bullpen and, and, and expect them to, to get outs in the majors. Uh, I, you know, the timing of all this is weird. And people have asked me about this and I agree. The timing is weird, but they had made, they had executed the transaction, the Morales, the Kimbrel from Morales transaction before or right around the time that they heard back from the Tigers and said, Hey, you know, what do you think about Soto? Because then all of a sudden you're like, Oh, they just, they just took three guys off the 40 in that trade. You know, why, why, you know, this is weird. Like, why did they just get rid of Morales? And and I think it was because they didn't expect to trade for Gregory Soto when they made the, yeah. when they made the Kimbrel for Morales transaction. So surprised in the grand scheme of things, maybe it ends up mattering, not, you know, not mattering at all. Um, I, I don't think it's what I would have done. It, it, it does leave things a little bit more interesting on the, the further depth conversation side in the bullpen, right? Because like you mentioned, the Phillies made some smaller moves alongside these larger moves that we're talking about. Um, during this offseason, they also recently, uh, either for I think cash or a player to be named, picked up a, a pitcher named Eric Ullman from the Cubs. Sam Coonrod is still hanging around. You mentioned Ortiz and Vasquez. There's an NRI out for John Duplantier from uh, the Diamondbacks. I'm not sure which organization he was he was just with. It escapes me. Do and then you get on to folks like Eric Miller, who slipped through Rule Five and wasn't protected. His he's still around. He's still an option. Damon Jones, who made a, a major league cameo, on and on into some deeper cuts. And I, I, there are some names there that, you know, you think, okay, there's, there's, there's something there. Maybe Coonrod, I think is, is a curiosity. Um, the fact that he's, he's still hanging around and, and, and has an arbitration agreement. Phillies obviously still think there's something there, even though he missed most of last year recovering from injury. Um, then after that, it, it just kind of gets into the churn quality. I think, you know, most of those guys that we mentioned who are, who are on the 40 man, in particular, Coonrod Yulman, I believe I'm pronouncing that name right. Please forgive me if I'm not. I and have Ortiz. No <laughs> they have options. So, sounds right. Um, yeah. Vasquez does not for his part. Um, but you he know, doesn't have options. Wait, why was he still on the 40? Why? <sighs> I am looking at roster resource, which has informed me that Vasquez among them is, does it's not have an source. option here left. Yeah. Um, it is. Um, so I don't. I, I think it'll be interesting to see how things shake out in the spring. Um, if there's any more potential moves, I don't know what kind of forty-man moves could be left for this team, uh, especially now that we've been sort of surprised with. A, They're at thirty-nine now. Okay. Yeah. So and they even have a spot. Well, yeah, I so I, I think oh. yeah, like I think this is like hurtling towards a spring trade of like Sam Coonrod for a fourth outfielder. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that would make sense. Yeah, It seems like that now that some of the depth has been trimmed from the bench when you're dealing out Maton and Veerling, which was a, a sort of a position of strength. So you can kind of understand dealing from that in order to pick up a, 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 a bullpen insurance policy that maybe something, you know, rears its head in the spring. You know, ho- hopefully everybody stays healthy. But if somebody goes down, you know, the Phillies are already a little bit thin with outfield stuff because we're talking about, you know, Cody yes. Clemens just came in, but He's, you know, he's he's fighting for a job. Dalton Guthrie was a rookie last year. He's got some intrigue, but, you know, he's mostly just a speed and defense guy. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's a hypothetical possibility. Uh, yeah, and, and Dabrowski even alluded to it. Like, he's like, look, like, we have some bullpen depth now. And, he, and he's like, you know, maybe we end up, you know, trading from that depth. And he's not talking about the top six or seven guys in his bullpen. He's talking about the next year. And Coonrod's in that next year. And, uh, he can be sent to the minors if he doesn't make the team. But I think the best thing that would happen for the Phillies is that Coonrod has a good spring because then I think they can trade him uh, and, and get, you know, get a, another big league piece for him, like a bench piece. Coonrod, for what it is worth, uh, the agreement that we just mentioned a moment ago uh, is the only one of the Phillies arbitration eligible players to have an agreement in place. He agreed to a one year $775,000 deal a few weeks back. And that leaves the Phillies with seven arbitration eligible players still without agreements for the 2023 season. That number has inflated thanks to the import of Gregory Soto. Uh, if you look at roster resource, speaking of which um, Fangraphs has acquired that it's invaluable as far as I'm concerned. Great. They do list I use J- it every day. Yeah, yeah. They do list Jake cave among the arbitration eligibles. Uh, Matt, you just confirmed this offline. He is, he has an agreement in place. It's a split deal that he had with the Orioles 
prior to the Phillies claiming him. He is making just under a million dollars with a, a few hundred thousand dollars guaranteed, depending on different spot, wherever he ends up slotting in. Um, so he's actually not part of this group. But the rest of them that so you'll see among six. this list. Yeah, that gives you Alvarado, six. Alvarado, Hoskins, Dominguez, mm-hmm, Soto, mm-hmm. Suarez, Sosa. Yep. And that is relevant. We are bringing that up because this coming Friday is the deadline to exchange figures where teams and players and their representatives submit their desired salary figure for the 2023 season. I guess that's the way to put that for both sides. Basically, if you're arbitration eligible, you are not eligible for free agency. You've been tendered a contract. There is a path toward a a neutral independent arbitrator deciding what you will make for a given season. Now, that is not the norm. Typically, what happens with arbitration-eligible players, as you may know, they come to agreements prior to that hearing ever taking place. But as a matter of course, as a formality and part of procedure, there is a deadline in place for teams and players to have to submit figures for what they think they should be paid if an agreement is not reached. That is what is coming up on Friday. You may know about that most high-profile-y, high-profile-ishly. Boy, I just butchered that. You're you're far more excited about this than I am. I love roster depth moves. This is my jam. Uh, Reese Hoskins, of course, is entering his potential walk year. He has a high projected salary, as you typically do when you reach your last arbitration year. The figure is the guideline is you can expect a player to ask for roughly about 80% of what they would make on an average annual value sense if they were a free agent. So Hoskins is projected to make somewhere uh, around $12.5 million. What he'll actually make is yet to be decided, and whether that's over one year or multiple years, also still to be decided. Um, Really, I think what we're looking at here with this arbitration slate is less about Reese, though we just used him as an example, less about what Gregory Soto might make. This is his, his first of three arbitration years. Even Ranger Suarez on down. I'm more focused at the moment because I don't think we've been talking about this enough. You and I specifically. Jose Alvarado, the recently emerged and elite and dominant and overpowering Jose Alvarado, who will pitch this year in his age 28 year. You want a new contract here. Yes. This is his walk year. Again, assuming he spends all year, most of this year, at least in the major leagues, he has five years and about 80 days of service time. You need six full years to be eligible for free agency. Uh, He's coming up on a free agent payday. If he does not reach a longer term agreement with the Phillies and who knows if he will, uh, he could walk after this year. Matt, I I think it's an interesting case because if the Alvarado of the second half of last year and the postseason is real and the guy you are getting, he's still only 28 uh what's the thinking here is well, it... even if you're if you're alvarado's camp aren't you more inclined to just let it play out and get to free agency you could but remember this is also a guy who who battled some pretty significant injuries uh in the years leading up to uh coming to the phillies maybe there's a chance especially with how hard he throws that getting that security could be the priority i don't know it's impossible to get inside somebody's head when you talk about things like this I just think it's fascinating because the Phillies have potentially one of the very elite relievers in the league on their hands. The guy who pitched the second half of last year in the postseason was fantastic. That's not just somebody you just kind of pick up. Right. And how much are you willing to buy into that from both sides? Yeah, it's it's a good good, you're right. It's a really uh interesting one. Yeah, Yeah. because it, it would also leave a hole in the bullpen if he leaves after this year. Right now you have Matt Strom who would be around. For next year and you have Gregory Soto, Soto now yeah. to, to fill in for lefty so there's a bit of an insurance policy again we're talking a lot about insurance policies good to have these things in place but Alvarado is better than the two of them at least the Alvarado that we've seen uh losing him mm, oh. I lean toward just going year to year interesting I, I just because like you just mentioned mm. they have Soto now uh for, for three years he has three more years of arbitration uh-huh. Uh, before he becomes a free agent, and uh, hmm, I I don't know, like I, I I want I think what the changes Alvarado made are real. Like he, you know, mentally 
you know, major developments. Uh, I, I just, I don't know, man, relievers, like it's so hard. Uh, now it depends on the, like, what are we talking about? A two or three year deal where it's like, okay, we bought the first, you know, year or two of free agency. Are we talking about like, you know, three years and, uh, 30 million is that that's too much right like three, uh, is it i don't know that would only take him through his age 31 year right and he's Look. probably <clears throat> from the phillies perspective he's probably sacrificing some money on the market i don't know yeah i don't know that's uh i don't know yeah i, I, I suspect don't... they go year to year with him just because yeah. like you just you just uh you can't be sure yet that's the thing Right. And, and I don't, we won't come to an answer here. This is a thought exercise. This is not about, you know, plumbing inside info or anything like that. Um, because I don't think there is an answer to this. I, I yeah, it's I didn't just even think an, about this until you mentioned it five minutes ago. It's, it's an interesting question just because 2021 Alvarado was interesting, but very flawed. Like this was a guy who just, who, who walked way too many people but you could see why they brought him in. Like if you, if you squinted hard enough, you could be like, okay, yeah, this, this guy, he's got some interesting stuff going on, but man, I don't trust him. And 2022 starts out kind of the same, maybe a little more strikeouts, but he's still walking a lot of guys. And you're like, is this ever going to get any better? And then, you know, et cetera, the rest is history. He comes back from the, the option to Lehigh and just absolutely blows everybody away. It is a question mentally for all of us for every individual fan how much you buy into what you saw in the second half of 2022 and into the playoffs and how much the body of work leading up to that might cause you to hesitate because there is reason for hesitation yes he's still fairly young he's in his late 20s uh he obviously showed that he could be one of the one of the best relievers in the sport when he's on it's <laughs> plain and simple. You would take Jose Alvarado up there with just about anybody if the version you get is what you saw uh, last fall. But there is that worry coming up on free agency in a walk year that, okay, maybe he is eyeing a bigger payday. Maybe with one more good season, he could be the top dog on the free agent market. And I, I haven't looked ahead to the, the slate of free agent relievers, but I would think, especially now that Edwin Diaz is off the board for the foreseeable future, that there's very little competition for somebody of late 2022 Alvarado's caliber versus how much the Phillies might want to say, all right, you know what? Maybe we can afford to go year to year now that we have two other quality lefties in our pen. Maybe that's just a risk we can't quite afford to take. Maybe uh, there are other things that will take our attention or require our attention ahead of locking Alvarado up. Uh, it's something to keep an eye on. I am certainly interested in, in, in seeing how the Phillies approach this. Uh, you probably won't know anything until it happens just because that's just how it usually works. <laughs> it would be a pleasure. I thought surprise. you were going to ask me about a different player who's up for this situation. And that's Suarez. Like, do you start, well, do, you, do you try to buy out Suarez's, three arb years and maybe one or two free agent years, or you, you want to go year to year still with them. So that that's a great segue, first of all. And I think Ranger is more important to the future of this team than Alvarado is, even though Ranger is not, <laughs> and you could find people who would disagree with this sentiment, but I'll, I'll phrase it gently. Ranger is not among the elite starting pitchers in the league. He's had flashes and runs of, of being very, very good. Uh, but I don't think he's quite there, even though his ERA in the league is. He's a really good mid rotation pitcher. Yeah. He, he is. He is. The situation, and this is where things get interesting with the way baseball rosters and contracts and everything comes together and are structured. So we were talking about Alvarado, who is roughly about the same age, a little bit older than Ranger Suarez, just a little bit. Alvarado is coming up on free agency because he has the service time. Ranger has three and a half years of service time. And because of that, he is in his first arbitration year with two more, potentially, if he stays up in the majors for long enough, in 2024 and 2025. What that does is it changes, among other things, the sense of urgency around negotiations. There is a lot of time between now 
and Ranger Suarez's free agency, at least contractually. He, more than Alvarado, can go year to year for at least another season. You probably don't want to go to arbitration year to year three times with a person. We're seeing that with Hoskins just because I don't know. Well, that's a different situation. But Ranger now, he's 27, just like Alvarado. He will be 28 later this year. He's a very, very good mid-rotation pitcher, and he has proved that. Now that he has a defined role, he has thrived in it, he has succeeded, he's a good mid-rotation pitcher. The Phillies potentially could lose Aaron Nola after this year. They'll still have Zach Wheeler, but Zach Wheeler will be getting into his mid-30s. And beyond him, look, there's hope with Andrew Painter and McGable and Griff McGarry to be, you know, rotation mainstays. They are prospects. They have not made their major league debuts. You cannot bank on them being there and being foundational pieces right now. You can't. You can't do that yet. Just as a matter of roster building. You have hope for them, but you can't do that yet. So what do you do with Ranger? What do you, Matt, Matt what, what would you do with Ranger? Would you look to buy out a couple free agent years? From 2026, 2027, maybe beyond. Do you think there's an appetite there for the Phillies to say, yeah, you know what, Ranger? Let's talk about a five-year deal to stay in the rotation. Yeah, I do because uh, like look, <laughs> look at what mid-rotation starters cost in free agency this, mm. this offseason. Touche. And maybe it's just you start the conversation now, and you probably don't come to you know you, you don't you don't get to an agreement right now. But at least you start the conversation with his side and be like, okay, you know here here's what we're thinking. What do you think? And it's something you can revisit. You know, there's mm-hmm. no like you said, there's time. There's definitely time. But I, yeah, I mean, I think. I think Ranger has is is, is is he's a solid mid rotation starter entering you know his his prime years here and uh, if you can if you can get him on a contract I, I yeah I, I think for both sides it could make sense depending on the terms but the cost of mid rotation pitching is uh, is is high it's really expensive and and it's hard to get good mid rotation starters starting pitching period I mean we've seen a guy though who's very durable like he's uh, he's filled a lot of different roles for them, and I don't know. I understand well, waiting, too. Sure, and I think you, you you made a good point with communication, right? And we talked about this with Kimbrell, you know, minutes ago, where the presentation of the message is important. Kimbrell, somebody who probably a little less analytically inclined, but still swayed by an analytically driven decision that was phrased in a way that was more accessible for him. At least that's the way everything seems from the outside right now. If you have a player that you would like long-term, which the Phillies may want with Suarez and hopefully Ranger would like to stay around for a few years. You don't have like a limited amount of, of, you know, rounds in the clip or charges or, 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 you know, some video game style energy, uh, you know, thing that you that you discharge every time you try and sit down and and negotiate with you know a given player. It's not just like you get everybody in the room and you have that moment to come to an agreement, or else that's it. That's all. They could exactly like you said, just gently start that conversation with Ranger and his reps. Maybe Ranger doesn't want to talk about that up until spring training. Maybe he wants to revisit it later this year. I don't know. Everybody's different. But the fact is you don't have to do an all or nothing, you know, hell or high water agreement or or walk situation when you talk money with, with players, when you do this sort of thing. Um, there is an art to it, and that's why you hear about, you know, some general managers slash presidents of baseball operations who, you know, gain a reputation for working well with agents, working well with reps, working well with players, not simply coming to the table with, here is what we would like to offer you, take it or leave it. Because that doesn't usually, that doesn't always work. Uh, so it would, it would be nice, I think, to keep that sort of, to keep that appearance up, to keep that reputation of handling a player well, Thinking of a player as a as an employee, sure, but also thinking of him as a as a person who would want to be respected and treated well in negotiations like this. Um, all of those little things that we kind of take for granted, I think, as fans, is just sort of either happening or we don't really mind them 
as they're happening with these discussions, somebody like Ranger has proven his worth. He's proven his value. He is a fan favorite above all else, uh, which carries huge weight, obviously, in, in this city. Uh, there's a lot working in his favor right now. I would think that there, if there's a mutual affinity, there's an appetite for something like this, I would, I would really enjoy seeing him, you know, get paid, get him, get a long-term deal, carry him through a free agent year or two, um, still have him hit the market before he's 33, potentially. Again, that really depends on length. Probably, I, I would think there would be options or, or some sort of conditional things involved with a pitcher of his history and, and usage and his age. It's just, it, it feels like one that would trend a little bit toward that, have a little bit of complexity toward the back end. Regardless, he doesn't feel like a guy who would go year to year. I have nothing to back that up other than just feeling like, yeah, I could see this guy in the rotation for a few years. You know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> yeah, like, does that make sense? Sure. All right. I can't believe we went this entire podcast without you asking me the, you know, the the effect that this trade that that really uh, changes the outlook of the Phillies bench has on Scott Kingery. I did avoid that question, didn't I? Look, I, uh, <laughs> he's going to come to big league camp, and like, yeah. I mean, he, he's in the last year, right, uh, of his of his six year contract. And Look, uh, I, I, I mean, I do think there will be one or two bench spots to win in the spring at the very least. Could be three, um, probably two. And uh, I don't know. He'll have a shot. I, I mean, I'm, they're paying I'm, him like he's not on the 40 are. man, but they can get him on the four. You know, it's not going to be a problem to get him on the 40. Look, I, 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 I still have some hope, right? Maybe, I, you know, I, do. Yeah. I do. I do. I do. Comeback story. I, it would be fantastic. Scott, I think Scott gets a ring. Scott, uh, good. Scott appeared uh, last yes, year in uh, one inning. Yes, he did. Yep, one inning. I, I hope he gets something. I hope they gave him a partial share, and I hope he gets a ring. Because look, at this point, we're talking about a guy who has, for three years now, really endured some big time struggles publicly. There's been a lot of attention on how. Things have not worked out so far with him, with the money and all of that playing out of position, the promise that has turned into just a big struggle. And you know what he's done? And I honestly, I, I wouldn't fault it if anybody was a little more visibly or vocally frustrated. He's just gone out and continued to try and work his way back. And I think that's something that wins a lot of points with people who are big fans of the, you know, put your nose to the grindstone and just work, work, work at it. That to me, it looks like it's what he's doing. Sure, it helps that he's making good money on the contract that he got before he made yep. his debut. That helps. The security that that provides probably soothes some of those nerves a little bit. But these are professional athletes. There is pride on the line. He has been he's been the subject of of some mockery and derision for the last few years because of the way things have gone. And whether that's fair or not, he's he's stuck it out. He's working through it. And now with two bench options traded away, one coming back, there is an opportunity for him. I'm just, I'm trying, I, I would love to see that comeback story get realized, but I also am a little bit leery of it not working out again. And I would yeah, hate I mean, to see that happen for him. It's a you long shot. I mean? It's definitely a long yeah. shot, but he's still in the organization and, uh, you know, there, there will be opportunity. And, and and he'll be in camp. Go get it, Scott. Make it happen, bud. Uh, yeah, camp battles. That's something we'll have to think a little bit more about as the spring approaches. Pitchers and catchers are reporting in about five weeks. February Man, 16th I, is the first workout. I love shorter off-seasons. I could get used to this. Uh, I'm sorry, I, I will respectfully <laughs> disagree, but this yeah, is I coming bet. fast. <laughs> this is coming fast. <laughs> We're five weeks from uh, yeah. pitchers and catchers, and that's that's kind of crazy. You got your you got your accommodations booked yet? You all you all set up <clears> with that stuff? Figuring it out, yeah. Figuring out uh, yeah. how I'll spend uh, my days down there. I won't be down there the whole spring, but uh, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to best uh, best use my time down there. So Clearwater, right man, on. it's hard to uh, it's hard harder and harder to find places to live every spring. It's a popular place, and not just because of the Phillies. I mean, it's a it's like. Clearwater Beach is like like spring break spring break heaven now. Um, it's like uh, it's where everyone goes. So uh, Clearwater is a hopping spot. 
Love to see it. Well, maybe I'll catch you down there. I've I've actually never made it to a spring training. If really? You believe it? Yeah. I, I, like I know that. I know like people are still listening to us on this on this on this episode. Like if you if you've never done spring, I mean like and if you and if you have the means and and and, and the time and, and ability to do it, it, it's 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 such a it's a cool trip and like it's something I did as a kid. Um, you know, not just not just like to see the Phillies, but like to go to other complexes and see other teams and like you get. You know, you just get closer to the players and to that and to the practices and action that than you do any other time of the year, and it's just more laid back and um, it, it's a cool thing. Spring training is is really cool, and uh, always I still like like I like going in the backfields, you know, in the mornings and, and, and checking out you know minor league camp and just kind of walking around, seeing what I see or bumping into whoever I bump into, and and uh, I love that time of year. It's really cool. Love it. Well, we'll have to see what the spring brings. Hopefully I'll, hopefully I'll be able to make it down. We'll see. Anyway, I think that'll just about do it for this, this episode. Nice to be back with all of you in this fresh new year, still filled with plenty of promise and hope. And the Phillies are still making some. Still, we're only nine days, days in. You seem so. <laughs> still have hope. I love we're it. Nine oh, days optimism. into the year and hope has you know, not been dashed. It, yeah. You know, it, it, it's, I am taking the given the past few years, I, I am taking every uh, extension of optimism into a year with um, I am butchering this sentence. I'm just enjoying feeling optimistic the longer Good. into a year there that I go. can. Um, and, you know, hey. We've got that right now. The vibes are good. The vibes are good. And we'll, we'll keep that up for as long as we can. OK, enough rambling. That's it. That's all. Uh, Philly's therapy is back. We never left. Uh, we'll be back with you at a time to be determined. Maybe if the Phillies make one more surprising move, if not, maybe we'll check in in a week or two. We'll see how things go. It's just sort of free flowing as we see spring training on the horizon, not quite in focus yet, but we're getting there another five weeks and everybody will be down in Clearwater. So for the athletics, Matt, Gell- oh, Matt, before we, before we sign off, you got anything you'd like to plug on the site recently that folks might've missed? Not really. I mean, I, I, uh, I've written a few things, uh, just about the bullpen and the moves they made. I'm actually going to, um, in the middle of composing a, uh, initial kind of like roster rundown just of, Great. uh, you know, what I'm, I guess a, a haphazard stab at the 26 man roster as we stand right now. And there will be one surprise in there and I'm going to get panned for it, but I, it's not, um, Ooh. I'm not doing it by accident. It's, uh, it's something that I truly believe can and will happen Ooh, what a tease oh i love it okay so keep your eyes peeled uh if you're listening to this prior to matt's publishing here on the night so for matt i am paul good to have you all back with us it's great to be back and we'll catch you next time